Welcome to the Beyond Measure podcast, where we push the boundaries of insights, innovation, and business strategy, and also indulge our curiosity on human understanding. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Beyond Measure podcast. I'm John Thomas, the head of client services at Burke. Today, we're going to focus on one of those behind-the-scenes activities of marketing research, sample quality and data integrity. Joining me today are two of Burke's sampling experts, Alyssa Wood and Brad France. Alyssa is Vice President of Sample Operations. She's responsible for managing Burke's dedicated sampling department. Brad is Manager of Online Quality and Sourcing. He's responsible for collaborating with Burke's extensive panel partner network to make best practices and quality standards. Combined, these two have over 37 years of sample experience, so they are well-versed to speak on this topic. Welcome, Alyssa and Brad. Uh, thanks for having us. Excited to be here. Okay, so I know some of you out there may be thinking, really, a whole podcast episode on sampling quality? Isn't that just one of those parts of the process that just happens? Well, we're here to tell you that sample quality and data integrity has never been a more important topic in marketing research than it is right now. So, Brad, let me start with you. Why this topic? Why now? Well, frankly, data collection and and data quality can be an underserved topic within the larger market research industry. Sample is the foundation of research. It's critical to keep a pulse on the landscape. If, if I were to think of current trends and challenges that are impacting research, and specifically the data collection space, a few key topics do come to mind. The first being demand. We are and have been experiencing an unprecedented amount of demand within the research industry. This obviously requires sample and data collection supply to keep pace. Our partners, the rest of the data collection industry, they've been working diligently on building that panel size, increasing traffic to meet this demand head on. Second, accessibility. To put it simply, accessibility is just the the ability to reach our desired audience at scale. As demand grows, so does the need to have demographic representation along with our desired targets. So you're making me think of census. Yeah, that, that's a great desired target. It's a, it's a target of a known population. And this increase in demand actually exposes some of the challenges we've traditionally faced when accessing those hard-to-reach populations. So as a result, we've had to be a bit innovative in our approach to ensure that we can continue to find and supply representative populations in our research. The last topic I'd mention here is data quality. Now, we can dig deep on this one, and I have a feeling we will on this chat, but for now, let's keep it top level. We are seeing a rise in fraudulent behavior across the data collection space. Data quality and and data confidence is the focus of our team and our partner network. We are increasing collaborations to help identify, detect, remove instances of data fraud uh, with our supply partners. It really is a rising tide lifts all ship mentality. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate that. So, Alyssa, I've been hearing a lot about this rise in bad actors and fraud behaviors. Can you give us some insight into this? Absolutely. I mean, fraud activities are on the rise, and we've experienced it firsthand. Overall, we're seeing an increase in survey fraud for certain audiences. For example, B2B audiences, which really makes sense given that they're rewarded higher incentives. 
I would say the more, most important thing for all of us to understand is the threat of fraud exists across all industries, not just marketing research, you know, that's financial, retail, advertising, and cybercrime and attacks have significantly increased over the past few years. Most companies like Burke, we're having to ramp up our own security and detection to stay ahead of the cyber criminals. So when we talk about survey fraud specifically, it's pretty commonplace for us to just hang on those sort of buzz terms or key terms like bots and click farm. Um, but that's not the only area of focus. There are other types of bad actors, which you know most of us have experienced. We categorize fraud into a few different areas. The first group is what we classify as technology fraud or tech fraud. This is the automated fraud, which include those things that I mentioned before, bots and click farms. Malicious people are the next group. These are humans, real people who either independently or maybe even working with others to lie about who they say they are to get into surveys. They want to get that incentive. And these people are going as far as accessing you know, certain social media sites, Reddit, TikTok. It's sort of amazing what's out there. To learn how to qualify for surveys and can't see me, but I'm putting in air quotes, you know, cheat the system. And we've got to find a way to find those people. The final group are the inattentive. I mean, these are the right people. They aren't lying about who they are, but they aren't giving us good responses either. They're not being malicious. They're not even being deliberate with their responses, but we still don't want these people in our survey. So we've named them, we've grouped them, and now we can address them in our surveys and we can customized checks throughout to catch and remove them. The last thing I'll mention is, you know, we shouldn't put all of the pressure on the panel companies and the industry to find the solution for this fraud problem. It's not one single company. It's not a problem one single company can fix. It really is going to take all of us involved. That is the panel companies. They have a responsibility. MR firms like us our end clients and, you know, third-party quality companies out there like Imperium and Research Defender. It's not a plug for them. It's just those are just top of mind for me. We all have to work together, be proactive, and layer in the protection when we can. Wow, Alyssa, I didn't realize this situation was so bad. Well, I wouldn't necessarily classify it as bad, but it is a challenge and the reality of the world that we live in today. So as researchers, we just have to keep working together, evolving the way that we think and get one step ahead of those bad actors. Well, okay. Thanks for talking me off the ledge a little bit here. So Brad, let me pivot to another topic near and dear to your heart, and that's sample source transparency. Talk to us a little bit about why that's such an important topic to understand. Uh, near and dear and to my heart couldn't be more true. Uh, excuse me while I get on a soapbox for a second. So we, we put a lot of emphasis on source transparency, meaning we know who is participating and where they're coming from. Sounds like a simple concept, but we do need to consider a few things with how the data collection industry has evolved over the past decade to better understand why transparency has, let's say, become cloudy or clouded at best. Sample aggregation driven by technologies are built in a very similar way to ad tech. So it's no coincidence that res tech or research tech has, be, has been a term that's kind of more frequently used. But to the ad tech, it's, it's how those companies connect, how they communicate behind the scenes. John, you're a golfer, right? Well, I've been known to drive a golf cart and drink some beer, if that counts. Okay, okay. We can get you close enough there. Okay, so, so weather's getting better. You want to get out on the course. 
uh, you want to make some upgrades to your club. So let's say you you look up a new driver online. After you've played around a little bit, you you you, you stop looking, but you start to notice that everywhere you go online, search engines, social media, even your Instagram feed are advertisements for that club. It works the same way with the aggregation model. So the, these integrated technologies have provided some some wonderful, some great advancements for coverage and, and access to new traffic. But one of the biggest downsides we see when it is unpoliced traffic is a lack of source transparency. It can be difficult. It can be near impossible to track a respondent all the way back to their source, or their original source. So in our testing and in our conversations with our partner, this example just always floats to the top is we remember tracking and identifying a single respondent that went five steps through these aggregation sources, through resellers, through marketplaces. So an individual is five steps away from their starting point and into a study. It makes you think that that, that 10 minute survey you're trying to operate could actually feel like a much longer, a, a 20 minutes, a 30 minutes, a longer engagement for that respondent. And lastly, unless in that system, unless you're in position one, the idea of self-selection is basically removed. And, and what I mean by that is, is, is a respondent runs a calculation in their head. They, they know what their time and they know what their effort is worth. So when they see a survey opportunity, they see the LOI, they see the incentive, and they say, is it worth my time? Am I getting paid enough for that task? So when a choice is removed, so is the understanding of the task they're about to embark on. I see. So it sounds like now you're getting into the whole user experience piece. Yes, exactly. So, so it all ties together. Um, and if, if we unravel that yarn, understanding the user experience is critical to understanding data quality and in, in this conversation. So uh, I, I would... I'd give an example. A great way for our listeners to think about this is with the simple equation. User experience times source equals data quality. And and I'll do a shameless plug here to go check out our Beyond Measure articles that, that digs into this a little bit more deeply. But back to the equation. So we just talked about some of the source control components. Now let's focus more on that user experience. That has a direct line to the data integrity. So as I mentioned, self-selection, critical. This is a time commitment. We are no longer fighting for time against other surveys. We are fighting for attention from a world that supplies ample distractions. What makes our research project more enticing than a TikTok or YouTube clip? That should be considered. So we have a responsibility to these respondents. We have a responsibility to pay them appropriately to give them a well-crafted experience, to uh, content matters, survey length matters, a well-crafted screener matters, device accessibility matters. So now you got me thinking about mobile surveys. That, that's exactly what I mean. So it's important to look at it two ways. For many, a, a smartphone is not only a preferred means of interaction, but for many, it's their only means of internet access. So by not allowing for mobile and uh, more importantly, by not taking the time to create an appropriate mobile experience, we could be systematically removing a portion of our target population just from even being able to participate. So lastly, 
it's important to understand how all of these topics affect feasibility and costs. Our partners are working diligently on building high-quality panels. They are taking note, however, on survey opportunities that have a potential negative effect on a respondent's life cycle. So long, arduous studies, those with extremely low IRs, those are the ones driving these negative experiences. And as a result, CPIs are increasing on those projects. And that CPI increase is going to help partners offset the need to replenish and recruit after losing respondents to bad experiences. So uh, again, we tie back to partners. We, we're working hand in hand with our trusted partners to better understand the feasibility, the cost, uh, the larger research implications of these topics. Thanks, Brad. Boy, it's got me thinking about all the, the moving pieces and parts here that we need to be thinking about simultaneously. So, Alyssa, let me come over to you. What about finding credible sources these days? What can you say about that? So that's a frequent topic for us and something we spend a lot of time talking with our clients about. Obviously, as Brad mentioned, transparency is really critical. As sample buyers, you know, you have to understand what the sample providers are doing to ensure good quality respondents. This includes understanding their recruitment strategies. Where are people coming from? Are they using good quality sources and are they monitoring those sources? We also need to understand what their vetting process is for new folk coming into the panel. How are they weeding those bad respondents out and what are they doing to validate and verify those respondents? Our partner vetting process includes asking these questions, but we go a step further. We're a research company. We like data. So we conduct our own test studies, our own side-by-sides with these sources uh, in order to evaluate important factors like quality failure checks. You know, do they have a high percentage of duplication or fraud flagged respondents, you know, liars, cheaters? Um, it's, a, it's important to understand those. And then we assess behavioral biases, you know, that may exist within the panel. Um, meaning, you know, do the panels skew high for particular behaviors? Those are things we should know. Um, and when you're choosing a, a source, a sample source for your study, um, it, it's important to, to keep those in mind. And we also look for operational excellence. That's probably a, a fancy term, but, you know, this means the day-to-day, the people that we're working with on the panel side, are we working with good PMs? Can they, they implement what we request of them on our studies? That's really how we determine if we want to work with a company or not. But quality sourcing is just one component of our overall strategy, our overall philosophy as it relates to data quality. For all of our studies, all of our quant studies, we require our partners to follow our best practices. Those are things that, that we determine what's best for our studies. I'll just mention a few because, you know, we could really dig pretty deep into these. Um, but just given the time today, I'll just hit a few of the highlights. We work directly with proprietary panels. We want to make sure that we can trace the respondent back to the point of origin. We want to avoid using sources that are resellers of sample where that's virtually impossible. Mm -hmm. And that's that source transparency I mentioned. Right. And next, we prohibit the use of technology that automatically routes respondents into our survey. We want respondents to choose to participate in our survey. This helps to improve the respondent's experience, limits their fatigue. They're not in that survey for 45 minutes when when they think it's just 10, and ultimately improves data quality. Yep, and that ties back to the self-selection. Yep, that's right. The last thing I'll mention is just blending sample sources. This is 
pretty common practice these days, but it's also something we do regularly, not just to improve feasibility, but it reduces potential bias that might exist in a single sample source. Finally, I guess I'll just mention, um, to guarantee that these best practices are followed to the standards that we require, Burke has a dedicated sampling team, which consists of 14 sampling experts. This team's core responsibility is to manage the partner network, you know, that we've been talking about here today. But um, in addition to that, they are responsible for the design and active management of the sample. So Alyssa, that word active, that's an interesting word. Tell me what you mean by active. So what I mean by that, John, is like active. The team is monitoring studies daily down to tracking key production metrics, quality term, the failure rates that we talked about, balancing and representation to ensure data is collected the right way. This is unique in the industry. We're very fortunate here to have people whose core function is sample. You know, our clients are spending a lot of money on research. So in our opinion, a well-managed sample is the foundation for high quality data. Thanks for that, Alyssa. Well, guys, this has been very enlightening to this point. And based on some of the things Alyssa was just talking about here, I think it's a great time to pivot to talk about what you guys are doing to stay ahead and keep ahead of all these moving parts I keep thinking about. So, Brad, let me kick it over to you again. Tell us a few things you and your colleagues are doing to stay ahead of the game. You and I have had some previous conversations on this topic, and I'm excited for our audience to hear your and Alyssa's thoughts in this area. A great way to talk about the approach we take is is to tie back to how Alyssa was describing the categories of data quality. Uh, We can provide some context around each and show how the approach is layered together to create um, a more inclusive system. So, so first is that tech fraud uh, or technology fraud. Then there are several third-party data quality services out on the marketplace. Um, we work closely uh, with a few of them, and that allows us to get a leg up on detecting fraud. These services can actually help us identify the high likelihood of fraudsters, bots, click farms, uh, a duplicate respondents before they even start the survey. Second is the respondent validation. And if Brad, if I could just jump in here, those are the malicious respondents that we talked about. That That's the group that's driven by incentives. Yes, yes. So we need to know, are they who we think they are? And are they who they say they are? So ensuring that, uh, or ensuring and authenticating, I guess, these respondents, it starts with the relationship and the direct access we have with those partners, with our partners. That direct access means we can validate known demographic information from our survey, tie that back to the panelist data that's been profiled on the partner side. And we can also compare purchase behavior, behavioral responses to some benchmark metrics that we can weed out what we call liars. For B2B audiences, we've got tools that can aid in the confirmation of a respondent's role and responsibility within their organization. Now, it's important that a well-crafted unbiased screener is used to help identify the accuracy of those roles and responsibilities. So the third category, data validation. And so now that's this inattentive group that Alyssa mentioned, right? Yeah, you're spot on. So this is the point where we have confidence uh, that the respondent is who they say they are. They're the right person for our study. And the focus now shifts to, are they giving us honest, attentive feedback during the remainder of the interview? So using some tried and true measures, such as 
uh, answer velocity, speeding, red herrings, contradictive statements, um, paired with uh, some advancements in automated detection, we can look closely at a respondent's performance and engage their authenticity, gauge their attentiveness. These respondents are scored and flagged so they don't make it into their into our final data sets. They do, however, make it back to the partners. So we we can we can bang the drum on transparency again. This this does work both ways. We share this data with our partners so that they can flag and track these respondents who have been isolated and removed. Uh, I, I do want to add, though, an important caveat to all of this is that when, when you look and when we talk about data quality and data validation in particular, a single flag is not a true indicator of a poor respondent. For a multitude of reasons, uh, multiple measures should be considered when identifying fraud. It is a set of tools. It's not a single solution. Well, Brad, so you had a really interesting way of describing this the other day. Yeah. I, 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 I talk, talk, talk about layers. I also like to speak with analogies. And so one analogy I like for this is the Swiss cheese defense. So hold up a single slice of Swiss cheese. It has holes. You can see through it. But as you add layers or slices of cheese, you start to limit the visibility. You start to limit the holes. They start to shrink as layers combine. But all of these approaches are slices of cheese. So the tech fraud, the respondent validation, the data validation, source control, methodology, these are all pieces of cheese stacked on top of each other. So it can't just be one. You need layers of cheese to the point where you can no longer see through the other side. And look, it's not easy. It can be a bit overwhelming, uh, but that's why we've invested so much time and resources into our dedicated sampling team here that Alyssa leads. The team is tasked at not only designing each individual project's sample approach, but also administering the field and monitoring closely with that experienced human touch. Okay, so Brad, I, I got to put my client hat on here for a minute and say, so what? what? What does that really get me? Sounds like a lot of work. Sounds like a lot of activity here. What do I get as the client? You get confidence. You get data confidence. It, it, and it's really as simple as that. Um, I mean, we have some brilliant data scientists here at Burke, but, but we like to say no amount of expert analysis can fix bad data. Great. Thanks, Brad. I really like where you guys are going with this. Alyssa, let me pivot back over to you. Perhaps you can bring us home now by sharing what's on the horizon. What are you guys doing to continuously evolving our tools? So what is on the horizon? We're going to continue to stay focused on monitoring the sample landscape. You know, for all sample buyers, we're navigating a very complex industry. And it can be tough to keep up with all the new sources and technologies and terms for that matter. You know, as Brad mentioned, ResTech, that's, that's been the latest pop-up term and I think most of us are still trying to figure out exactly what that means. But, you know, we'll continue to learn, test new sources, and determine if it's a good fit for Burke and for our clients. You know, as for our current partner network, we'll continue to work closely with those folks um, and keep, on, uh, keep a pulse on the organization's overall health. Brad and I, and, and really the whole team, meet with our leadership on, on a regular basis, and we have what we call state-of-the-industry discussions. This is where we can really kind of dig deeper um, into a lot of important topics for us. So we, we can talk with our partners about their investment strategy. What are they doing to grow their panel? 
How are they going to reach those difficult to reach audiences? You know, what is their growth plan? We discuss pricing models and making sure that we're staying competitive. Those are those are all things that are important to us. And we've got really close relationships with these companies. And it's what, you know, what we consider true partnerships. So that word partnership. Tell me a little bit more about that. What does true partnership mean to you in this area? It's really an extension of our, of our team, and, and I know a lot of people probably feel that way about different partnerships, but you've noticed throughout our chat today, we've, we've commonly referred to our trusted network as partners. I mean, that's, that's deliberate. I mean, these, are, these companies aren't just vendors or subcontractors to us. They are partners. Um, these are the people that we work with day in and day out, and they're so important to the work we do here at Burke. I know we're running long. So, you know, if we have time, I'll just mention two other areas where I'd like to say we're focused on for the future. Um, As Brad mentioned, we'll continue to evolve our quality monitoring system and add layers of protection in our surveys, especially as fraud behaviors continue to change. We want our clients to continue to trust the work we do. And lastly, we'll continue to invest in our people and in the sample team. Just this past year, we've hired four new project managers, which is so exciting. Uh, it's so exciting for me, um, and it's so exciting to see see this team grow. We'll continue to evolve roles within our department, like Brad's role specifically. That role focuses on quality and sourcing. In my opinion, people are our best tool. Well, listen, Brad, I believe we're coming to the end of our time together. I really want to thank you for sharing your thoughts and expertise with the audience today. I hope we shed some light on some of the significant challenges as it relates to sample quality and data integrity, and I'm really excited to see how you'll help to continue to navigate these choppy waters. That does it for this episode of the Beyond Measure podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. This has been an installment of Beyond Measure, a Burke Incorporated production.